This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Sydney Sloan is no stranger to marketing trends. In fact, she's already been a two-time guest. But when Salesforce released its State of Marketing report, we felt Sydney was the perfect guest to give her take on some of the report's finding and to simply catch up on all the things she's working on as the CMO of SalesLoft. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Sydney talks about why virtual events are not going away anytime soon. Plus, she discusses the best uses for ABM and what she liked and disliked about the report. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today we are joined by three-time guest, recurring guest. Sydney, what's going on? I'm kind of thinking in the Saturday Night Live, am I going to get a jacket soon? Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing great. Thank you. That's exactly right. Uh, full of rhinestones and, and pendants and, and flair. Well, we wanted to have you on. Uh, obviously, you know, the world is changing a bunch. So we're going to talk a little bit about that um, for our listeners who, who haven't checked out uh, the first couple of episodes. Go back uh, into the Wayback Machine. We had some fun ones uh, with Sydney previously. You know, and then also, um, you know, Salesforce released the uh, state of marketing report. So we'll talk a little bit about that and some of the the cool takeaways. Um, so first, I kind of want to open up with, um, you know, obviously COVID has changed everything, and uh, and I'm curious, just you know, from your perspective uh, at SalesLoft and, and what you're seeing. Uh, what was what was some of the things that you responded to kind of in the early days and 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 saw from uh, both the business and then internal perspective? Yeah, that's a, a big loaded question, especially what we're two plus months into it now. I think looking back, there were three distinct things that we did immediately. First was looking at our own ICP and reorienting our um, customer set to those that we felt were going to be able to, you know, continue to grow or continue to function even in this time versus those that were really going to struggle. And so looking at the industries that our customers sold to and then reorienting our outbound cadences against those accounts, that was number one. Number two was our message. And Thankfully, we've got a stellar sales enablement team and we reviewed all the cadences, all of the the outbound uh, messages and our advertising to align it to appropriate nomenclature for this day and time. And so within the the week, we had reoriented our messaging, retrained the teams and prepared them with how to respond to certain objections as it related to customers who were just uncertain and whether or not now was the right time. The third and most unexpected uh, was our ability to transition and our ability to help our customers transition. And so we invested, we did a project, uh, uh, we called it Project Odyssey, and really invested in creating usable content in multiple formats on how to set up a home office, how to you know make sure that you have the right 
tools and environment and team structure. And so we just did this whole series around managing remotely and we oriented our ad spends to transition half of the spend to helping customers trying to figure out these problems and half of it we continued to drive our demos. Um, What that resulted in, those three key things, was actually an increase in our inbound. We were up 120%. We're in one of those fortunate situations where we help people work from home more effectively. We help teams continue to perform. Thankfully, we have things like, you know, uh, internet and video calls and uh, uh, systems that work in remote fashions. And so we're able not only for us to transition, but to help our customers transition to what this new normal is. Yeah. And I think that, you know, as we start to transition into things being, you know, opening up a little bit, obviously the workplace is going to be totally different. You know, events are going to be different for for a long time. Uh, You know, I know you don't have the crystal ball here. Are there any things that you have kind of taken as something a little bit of a longer term approach on or something that you've kind of said, okay, we're just going to wait and see about this, whether it's like, a campaign or a budget item or um, or some like internal thing that you were looking at doing that you maybe said, okay, this is going to be on the back burner or conversely something that you're like, actually, we need to speed this up. I think the biggest and easiest one to look at is events. And while early days were like, yeah, let's, you know, not plan anything until, you know, for the next two quarters. And as soon as Dreamforce got canceled, frankly, and I think that just shut everything down that could potentially even be an in-person event through the rest of the year. I literally decided not to sign a contract today, which has been our second largest performing event um, in history. And it's just like, you know what? I, I don't know what the new normal is going to be. And I think we have to challenge these. And I offered in in saying, you know what, I, I, I'm sorry, but I'm not gonna be able to sign this contract at this time. But I'd love to be part of a think tank of CMOs that can help you rethink how you're going to continue to add value because you're a reputable company, you have great uh, customers that rely on you, and it's always been high performing. But I don't think you're going to get 5,000 people to your event next year. Therefore, it doesn't make sense for me to write the same checks I used to write. Uh, and, And so I think we do have to come together and help as an industry rethink that Specifically for what Salesloft is doing is we have completely pivoted our field and event strategy, as many of my colleagues have that I've talked to in a lot of these CMO roundtables I participate in, where we're doing a multifaceted virtual approach. So basically, I think about a lot of things as you know, one-to-many events, one-to-few events, and one-to-one events. And our virtual programs are taking that approach and we have different people that are responsible for that. So the one-to-one programs all in on ABM for enterprise and mid-market customers and using all the tools that we have. And I can speak to specifics in that if that's helpful. The one-to-few events, you know, we still want to do regional programs, replacements of roadshows, webinars, you know, where they, there's maybe a hundred very specific topics that we're covering. And then we still want to do the one-to-many. And so we're doing a Salesloft Summit series that will be a quarterly series 
that are half day events to specific audiences. And our one coming up is uh, in June 16th um, for sales leaders and sales managers. So we've curated a half a day of content just for that persona. And our next one will be focused for the SDR teams. And then we'll continue on just kind of like half day deep dives. But of course, we're going to pull apart all that content and reuse it in the programs that we're doing. So that's, that's how we're approaching it. And our, our webinar program is healthy. We're the one-to-one, one-to-few events. We're still figuring out like roundtables, thought leader stuff for 20 or less people. Um, I don't think we've nailed that one yet. I participate in some where people have, but I think maybe people who are quick, quick, to, quick to add, you know, the early bird got the worm on that and people's attention. Um, so uh, we'll see. Gosh, that's sad. You know, the idea of like the canceled events and all that stuff. Um, it's just tough to hear those, uh, those things because it's, it's, uh, it's so many people's favorite thing of the year. It's, I, we talk about it all the time on the show about like, you know, marketing is meant to be remarkable and like events. That's why they, part of the reason why they work is that they are actually remarkable and you remember them and you remember where you were and you meet people and all that stuff. Uh, and it's, you know, real life stuff. And I think more than ever, you know, switching from, from zoom to zoom to zoom and like kind of getting that fatigue that we all have, I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of appetite for events. I think that, you know, it's going to change, but it's also potentially going to change in a really good way because we can have, you know, deeper engagements and, uh, and things in person that we didn't really necessarily like, we weren't forced to do that in the past. I think, it makes me think of what we're talking about right now as it relates to those of you that have kids and as we're looking at what the go back to school programs are and and the research that I'm reading around the impact on the, the psychological impact on children by not having those social interactions and how important it is, you know, weighing the pros and cons of, you know, do I send my children back to school? Do I not? And what's that look like? And, and all the data and psychology that I'm reading is really encouraging us to make sure that children do have that ability to interact with people and socialization. And that translates back to the workplace and to events, frankly, where you just don't get the same experience. As much as we're trying to create that virtual digital experience, you don't get the human action. You don't get the two-day deep immersion in learning and networking and that commitment of time that you're putting aside. And so I do wonder how that's going to be reimagined. I don't think we're going to see 5,000, 10,000, 100,000 person events anytime in the near future. So it is kind of exciting, I guess, if you want to think of it in a glass half full perspective of we get to reimagine and recreate what the new approach to events is going to be, which is why I volunteer to be part of, uh, you know, of, of this rethinking, because I'd love to have input into it. How do we reimagine? Maybe we can figure out a way where virtual and digital and in-person come together over a longer period of time, potentially, um, where communities form differently. So I, 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 you know, I always love a good challenge, and I think this is definitely going to be one of them. Yeah, what would be what would be one of your thoughts on that? Like, what would be you know for your virtual uh, CMO summit here in the sky, uh, in the cloud right now? What would be some of the ideas that you would have? I think it's that combination of trying to you know how do you foster one to one? How do you foster networking and alongside being inspired and learning 
And so if you can somehow facilitate that one-to-one so the community comes together, it reminds me of when I worked at Jive and we had such a strong community and we had our community leaders that we um, met with frequently. It was, you know, not just our executive advisory board members, but actually our, what we called our customer champions. And they were a separate group that we worked with, about 100 people. They were active in the community. We, we held monthly meetings with them. We sought their feedback on product. And before we'd launch anything, we'd get their feedback. And then when we would go to the events, they were already a tribe. And so I do think you can start to do things where you're going to bring in leaders to build those connections. So when you come together, there's already a natural underpinning of relationship there. And I see that in some of the CMO roundtables I participate in where I'm, I'm meeting new people. And granted, we're sitting in a Zoom, but we're chatting in the chat and I, and I get to listen to their ideas and, and then I connect with them. And then maybe we're going to go for virtual coffee. There's two that I've done that with. So, uh, you know, building relationships in this virtual world, world with really high anticipation of the opportunity to actually get to meet them in person one time soon. Um, and, and so those are the things that are kind of top of mind for me is how do we kind of curate these smaller communities and then bring an opportunity in the future where we can bring them together, but not with more than a hundred people, which is one reason I think, you know, focusing on leaders is a good thing to do at this time because, you know, that's where we can have the most impact. And then the one to many programs are more for the individual contributors so thinking differently about how we serve those different audiences and, and their needs. Yeah, I love that. And, and I'm, I have been doing a lot of the, uh, the, you know, the virtual coffees and the different things. Um, and I think the, th- the one piece of it that is, is really um, so interesting to me is so I was doing a lot of that before uh, for people that didn't live, you know, in my same kind of geo. And what's great is it kind of gets you out of the uh, proverbial office because you're, you're meeting with people kind of all over, you know, the globe a lot more in doing that. And I think that that's one of the exciting things is I think the accessibility for people who aren't, who can't make the the jump to whatever city it is who can't go to that particular event who don't have the budget um who you know couldn't get that sort of thing approved at their size company or whatever now we're going to be able to access some of these events uh in a more meaningful way and we've seen that you know we talked to ryan carlson from octa about um you know octane this year they had a massive group of people that that uh you know were part of it and they're like we're going to do digital events forever now because not like exclusively, but it's, it allows people to engage in a way that they, you know, they hadn't traditionally. And like, that's, that's part of me of like pushing the pace of innovation uh, for events and like just reimagining what, what can be done to be more inclusive. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, we're definitely seeing more people, more and more people attending, you know, the online programs and, I, I will say that I think it's worth testing out, though, the difference in the one to few and the one to ones. Um, and when I say one to ones, it's, you know, maybe an, a company like an account based approach. Uh, and, and that is regionally, there are still are differences. So knowing when to draw the line between, you know, one to few and trying to communicate one message to a broad audience versus bringing a smaller group together to talk about unique things, be it a 
a regional difference or a vertical difference. And so still being thoughtful and trying to make sure that you've curated the right audience. I do feel like with digital and our ability to be able to be more nimble um, and selective allows the conversation to be more relevant. Um, and so I, I, thinking about your personas, your verticals, your regionals, and really curating the, the topic for them that's going to help them engage versus trying to be just super broad um, and maybe too high level. So think, think through those different app assets. Yeah, no, I mean, I totally agree. And I guess I, I sh- yeah, I should have specified that. And I'd love to hear how you're doing those sort of things. Because I think that that is a much more interesting way to do things. Because you can actually be responsive in real time to that group and have a dialogue. And I think that that's, I think that the day of like, the one to many, like, I'm going to have, you know, 15 huge speakers about blank. Um is not actually that interesting from a content perspective because part of the lure of like seeing, you know, Tony Hawk is that you actually get to see Tony Hawk. Um, But if he's just, you know, recorded, you can kind of just catch up on that anytime. What you can't catch up on anytime is actually having a dialogue with a group of people in the room where you're part of the conversation. And like, that's what I think, um, you know, those those one-to-ones. I'm curious, how do you, how do you do, uh, how do you do those? What I've seen and what I experience, and even what we do internally with our own um, all hands is that the conversation has to be curated. So you'd still have your topics, you have people speak on you know, different areas of expertise. I think the, the best model I've seen so far is, is first you have to kind of get your core group together. So if those those 20 or 30, you know, whatever number it is, people that kind of commit to being there week to week and evolving the conversation together. Um, having great facilitators is the next one, ones that can carry a conversation, and then really involving the chat as part of the conversation. And and you see this sometimes now in LinkedIn Live and and Tweet Live. And um, if anybody watches Kara Swisher, that's really a good lesson to watch somebody do that well. Uh, and and so you're you're pulling the audience into the conversation through the chat and so it's almost like you're handling two conversations at the same time you're you're asking a question of certain people uh, that you have kind of pre-selected around topics so let me back up a second one of the best things that i've seen and i'll give a shout out to latney at uh, the cmo at six cents she's done a great job along with matt hines curating the cmo club they ask they suggest topics of the attendees at the beginning of the week, and then they pull in experts or you know people within the group to talk to that topic. So that's how we kick it off. And then the chat is like on fire. And so we're talking on the side. And then generally Matt is pulling through, oh, you know, Sally said this, John said this, Mike, tell me more about that topic. So he's pulling the audience from the chat into the conversation. And then we're still having the side conversation, which by the way, means we're engaged. A lot of us can multitask. Um, And then as we're sharing best practices, they're curating those in the follow-up email. And it's like, here's the things that are shared. Now they're stored on a a microsite for all of us to access where it's like, hey, this is my best practice in writing a cadence, or this is how my field marketing team has reoriented the way that they're delivering their, their programs or whatever might come up in the conversation that's being curated into um, a shared space where we're all sharing best practices with each other. 
And it's been, I mean, it's, it's worth showing up every week because I continue to learn something. And that says a lot, you know, for a CMO who's busy to take every Friday morning for an hour to network, to learn, to share and to, you know, to follow up. Um, and so I, I, you know, that's, that's for me, the gold standard that I'm trying to reach with our programs as well. When you're seeing things like that, are they creating afterwards, like something that's private for the group that like stores that information or are they pulling lessons learned and then creating like additional, you know, content that's publicly shared or is it a bit of both? It's just been shared within the CMO, the folks that that are participating in the CMO conversation, coffee talk, I think it's called. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, I think that those sort of things, um, I mean, being really thoughtful with those and trying to figure out how to, how to create value is, uh, I mean, you know, it's marketing 101 and it's like, we, we do a lot of stuff that I think is meant to scale, uh, as marketers. And there's, I think now is the perfect time to look at the things that that don't really scale that much. Um, and especially ones that don't involve like a ton of sales reps on the call, because I think there's, you know, when you're in this kind of like learn mode or, uh, or you're trying to figure stuff out, you don't necessarily want to be bitched to, uh, when you're in that conversation, like having a vendor kind of free neutral environment is, is super powerful. hundred percent. I'll definitely tag onto that, that in these times, teaching, learning, giving away things for free of value is the long game. And as a brand, what you're giving without asking for anything return is going to pay dividends in the long run. So one of the things that um, that we wanted to chat about uh, was one of the things that came up in uh, the state of marketing report from Salesforce. And it's something that you at SalesLoft have a really good in, uh, window into. Um, and that's the integration of MarTech stack and sales tech. So I'm curious, um, you know, this is obviously a priority for marketing leaders. You know, um, we've been talking about it for years with sales marketing alignment. We've been talking about it, uh, share the band, whatever you want to say. Um, and now we have these really uh, complex systems that do a lot of our work uh, and integrating those two things is is really critical for a CMO. Um, so where do you see the space kind of right now with integrating the MarTech stack and the sales tech stack? I think that the wonderful thing about account-based is it does, you know, it is a forcing function for sales and marketing to get on the same page and to support each other. And it's interesting because I see now there's kind of like three strategies that companies are running. You might be 100% all into ABM. Um, you're still going to get, and I even with our, my friends who run ABM companies, you know, they're, they're still at 70% of it, but you're still going to get 20% inbound that you're going to want to continue to work. But all of your outbound is focused on your target accounts and an overwhelming percentage of, of marketing efforts in support of that. Um, then there's kind of the hybrid. So companies that are working both the inbound or sorry, the tradi- what I would call the traditional marketing approach as well as an account-based approach. Or there's still a lot of companies that I talk to that are, or marketers that I talk to that are just focused on inbound. And so I think that everybody has a variation. As it relates to sales tech, I do think that there are similarities and differences. Um, the similarities are Uh, First around the account structure, the data structure, governance around the data, that has to be first and foremost, the the foundation for 
um, sales and marketing coming together. And you could say that this is this whole new rev ops revolution that's happening right now. And there's great debate in terms of should, you know, the operations teams come together or not, even including customer success and what's the benefit of that. But no matter what, when those things start, it starts with the data. Um, and then you have to look at the end-to-end processes that support the customer journey and what technologies that, that you have at play in order to support that. Um, so things like lead routing, lead scoring, um, uh, the workflows that that support, you know, making sure that the right leads get to the, the sales reps or the SDRs for follow-up immediately. Um, those things, uh, we, we use Workato, but there's lots of other different technologies out there um, that can help with that, that process side. Um, and then, you know, I do think that this is um, all, all of the MarTech stack that's doing the, the, top of the funnel activity, that that really hasn't changed. But when you start to get to mid-funnel and bottom of funnel, the integration between the sales tech and MarTech is can be a differentiation if you design it right. And, and that is really how does the outbound motion and inbound activities or marketing activities start to come to light. And definitely a tip of the hat to Engageo. They were one of the first to start talking about you know, looking at account engagement and looking at sales activities that are driving account engagement and marketing activities that drive account engagement and thinking of account scoring as the, um, the thread that brings those together. And then the coordination, you know, how do you get that to, uh, to the ideally 15-step cadence that's going to follow up with, uh, with those customers? That, I think, is the intermediate maybe where the basic is just, Hey, manage your inbound funnel and have simple outbound and all your, your system supporting that intermediate is kind of really looking holistically at the coordination across the accounts. And then the advanced is taking that all the way through the customer journey. So once they're in the deal cycle, what processes are you looking to automate and how are you doing that? Once the closed one happens, cross sell, upsell. So now these revenue teams are looking holistically at all of the processes across the customer journey that can be automated in a way that allows communication to be consistent, captured and written back to Salesforce, which is a huge thing. And, um, and then all the data sits there. So then you can start to study it and figure out um, using machine learning, or if you're advanced in AI, you know, once you, the biggest part is getting the data, then running the algorithms on that to then start to do predictions and best practices. So, but I do think that's on the advanced side of things and there are companies at all ends of the spectrum. I'm sorry, that was a super long winded answer. Hopefully you followed my train of thought. Um, But I, I think it does, you know, it really is about understanding that whole buying process and where technologies fit and where the teams come together as it relates to supporting the customer through the buying process. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think that this is like, obviously, uh, you know, next level stuff. And I think, um, I'd be curious to your thoughts on, um, how you think, you know, other CMOs are dealing with this. Like, where do you think the level of sophistication is right now in the market? I, I think it varies by industry. Um, definitely SaaS tech companies are on the most advanced side of looking at that. I think we've all known all along, like how technology can be a differentiator and we're early adopters of that. 
Um, so I'm definitely seeing that. I think the other part to it and what I would encourage CMOs, since they're the ones that are listening, is the more that you can get closer to owning the revenue, which may mean pipeline, which means managing the SDR team, the higher value you become into the equation. Uh, it's no longer where's my lead, it's where's my opportunity and how have you qualified that. And I'm seeing those CMOs, like, you know, in terms of their stature and impact to the business and just perception and ownership as to our role is very exciting. Um, other industries are, you know, we're starting to see though that sales transformation take place in the more traditional industries. They are the ones that are already have defined digital transformation initiatives generally, but COVID frankly is really accelerating that. And what we're seeing in terms of kind of food and retail, and um, I'm just going through some of the new customers that we brought on board or the customers that I'm talking to, you know, manufacturing companies, they're all looking to redefine the way that they are going about managing the pipeline, um, generating and managing the pipeline. And, and so, you know, for them, it's starting with the basics. Like, how are you managing your inbound lead flow? Do you have SDRs? Um, wow, you don't. Okay, so are your leads getting followed up on? Ooh, ouch, 20% of your leads? That's 80% waste. How can we do that differently? And it's astonishing, but it's true. And it's where many of us were five years ago. Um, in, in tech, you know, we figured that out. Now we get to take that to other industries. And that's exciting because it's going to really help marketing continue to, you know, contribute, perform less waste in the system. Um, and so, you know, those are the conversations I enjoy having with CMOs right now as they try to figure out what it is that they can do. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's pretty wild. So can you, can you share a little bit more about that? I'm extremely uh, concerned for, uh, for 80% waste. 40%, 80%. And these are large companies. What's the challenge there? The challenge is the sales transformation that needs to take place in those companies where marketing is just seen as a, a lead gen engine um, that the AEs, the account executives kind of sift through yeah, and pick and choose what it. they want to follow up on and yeah. what they don't. Because frankly, there's, you know, there, it, it does take a lot of at-bats and those folks are busy people and they don't have that same time frame, frankly, to follow up on. If you send them 80 leads and they only have time to follow up on five, how do they know which five to follow up on? And, and so how do you manage that throttle? Well, SAS Tech has learned that that throttle is a team called sales development reps that can manage inbound or manage outbound, which is more the advanced state of folks that have uh, uh, aligned to ABM models. But on the inbound side, if you can do the financial formula, which has been proven time and time over, where you have somebody else that's quickly following up on those leads, number one, you follow up in minutes, not days, the degradation between how fast it takes to follow up on a lead um, has a direct correlation to whether or not that lead becomes an opportunity. And, and so if you send it through a, you know, some cue to an AE that looks at his e or her email or lead follow-up weekly versus by the minute, there, there's waste right there. Um, you can also track activity levels. And I, you know what I was listening, I had, I had a rep telling me a, a story this morning. Uh, it was a traditional company in the financial, or sorry, in the data management business. Um, they, they sell, I'm not going to say who it is, but they, they sell consumer data. 
and they've been around for a very long time and they're, they had SDRs, but they were only doing a two-step follow-up. And, uh, and so X percentage of their leads, and I think it was like, you know, thir- they were generating like 30 leads a week, this, this one particular team. Once they put in a sales engagement system, they were able to go from two follow-ups to 10 follow-ups and they increased their conversion to opportunity by over 106%, I think it was. I could tell that story again and again and again. I'm thinking of five examples where they even have teams, but because they aren't using the most modern tools available, you know, there's just not enough time in the day. Uh, for them to do that or enough stick to to send more than two follow-up emails. And we know that it's not just about email follow-up. If you also follow up by phone, the number of channels that you add is an exponential increase in the likelihood that that lead will turn into an opportunity. Um, and, and that's proven by everyone in this industry, which is why I'm super confident that Sorry if I'm preaching for, for my category, but it's because it's, I believe in it and it's true and I see it every day that, you know, it makes a difference when you follow up um, more frequently, be it inbound or outbound. I mean, and this is why it's great having you on the show because uh, we don't, <laughs> uh, I think our guests are extremely forthcoming with a lot of things, but they're definitely not going to tell us when, uh, when they have, uh, you know, 40% of their leads just never get responded to. Um, that's yeah. for sure. Or, or, or 80%. Um, no, but I think it is really critical and it's not just, uh, you know, you, you, uh, on the soapbox here because, you know, and like pulling, pulling some data from the, uh, state of marketing report, you know, we're, we're talking about, uh, for B2B companies right now, 92% have an ABM program, but that's like, you know, that's, that's like saying, uh, you know, Every ninety-two percent of people have a car, and it's like certain people are, mm. are you know, have uh, their their car is a uh, is like you know a Yugo, and but and then other people are, are driving a Kia, a, yeah, <laughs> <Or> hand <laughs> uh, unless unless Practical. Our, unless our marketing, yeah, leaders from those companies because those are great cars. But yeah, no, you know, it's like, and then other people have have a Ferrari, and I think we always like to talk about the analogy of like the you know, like the ocean liner versus the speedboats, you know, or the cruise ship versus the speedboats, right? It's like, if all you can do is get everybody going in one direction, the only way you can do that is is on the giant cruise ship. It's like, you're not going to have the agility to be able to respond to things at scale. And that's like the importance of tools like SalesLoft. So, I mean, um, the, the ABM stats, I think are just so interesting because so many people are trying to figure it out right now. And it's clearly going to, you know, um, to be, you know, how companies that haven't done this are, are going to get left behind if they don't figure out some way to engage deeper with these key accounts. What I love about ABM, what I've always loved about ABM before it was even a thing, I was doing it uh, back, uh, gosh, now 2010 at Adobe, set up the strategic account program. Um, but uh, it's all about focus and efficiency and doing your homework up front. What's, you know, the, the hardest part about ABM is picking the accounts. 
you know, once you have it, then it's execution and that can all be managed. But how do you make sure that you, and that's the fear, like, ah, oh, did I pick enough? Did I pick the right ones? Uh, by the way, you can continue to refine it. So you're not stuck forever. Some, sometimes companies do assign though. These are your 40 accounts. These are your 20 accounts. That's how they're, the reps are going to make a living. So if they have tier one accounts, you know, that that's good for them. Um, but you know, how you go about using data and, and the glorious intent data that's out there these days to help give insights into who's actually in market and the flexibility to continue to change those, those, those account lists um, is important, but it's focused. You're not out there at the top of the funnel doing all of the waste. Um, and, and I've seen this again, like as people do this conversions to these programs that the the, the close rates are higher, the, the win rates are higher, the, the ACV is higher, you know, their lifetime value is higher. I mean, if you haven't yet been able to make the case, you just have to find that one team. So when you do talk about 92% of the companies doing ABM, if, if they're just starting with a seed program, that's okay. You're designing it to prove the point to then roll it out further at scale. That makes sense, especially in really large companies. In small companies, that means you just nail your ICP and your product market fit out the door and, you know, go hard after it, um, which, which is also super useful. But it, it does, it's about focus, alignment, using data to really understand who the right buyers are, and then putting all of your investments of marketing dollars and people time to those accounts. I'm a big fan. I've always been a big fan of ABM. Well, we're going to find out a little bit more about how you are in our lightning round. Which uh, which we've already asked you a bunch of these. We're there already. Yeah, well, I know we've already done this. So these are these are new. This is a new new batch. As always. All right. Lightning fast questions, just like marketing or Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com/slash/marketing to learn more. They've been with us since, since the first episode of Marketing Trends, and we love them. Check them out if you haven't already. Salesforce.com/slash/marketing. Lightning round questions. Sydney, are you ready? I'm ready. Lightning. Let's go. Number one. What habit have you picked up during shelter in place? The seven-minute workout. It's awesome. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> what is your number one tactic to wake up a sleepy teenager? Breakfast. Yeah, food's always good, right? What is the uh, the thing that you are looking forward to the most uh, when uh, when everything is is fully lifted? Going on a beach vacation. What about final thing here? you know, hidden talent or passion or thing that you've been kind of working on, uh, working on, on the side, are you, uh, are you now ready to, uh, to make it more public to share with the world? I am an obsessive organizer. Uh, and so having all this time at home, I, I, I have touched every cabinet, every drawer, my house could not be more organized. I love doing this for people too. So if there's uh, friends out there that are looking to move or need a purging, I think this will be my next life is to be a professional organizer. You're so hired. I absolutely love it. <laughs> you are hired. You can come to Oakland anytime. You have an open invitation. You got it. It's always great speaking with you. Uh, you know, we uh, will we'll have to have you back soon. Um, and uh, any final thoughts? Uh, no, just everybody stay safe. Um, you know, the stay healthy, stay sane, uh, be gracious to each other and understanding. And um, you know, it's a it's a a time in this world that we won't forget. We all have our part to do, and um, and just come together and solve 
tough problems. This is not going to be easy, but together we can, um, we can, we can get through this. Agreed. Awesome. Thanks so much. Take care. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.